Uni Taste Days proudly presents the Uni Guide, supporting you with all things university. Hello listeners and a warm welcome back to the Uni Guide podcast. In this episode, we are going to be exploring, with a special guest, studying at university abroad. And to be clear here, when I say abroad, I don't mean studying a degree with a UK university that has, say, the option to study for a year abroad, a bit like our Emma from the student panel, for example, who studied business with French and then spent a year in France. No, we are going to be discussing how you can study an entire university degree course at a university in another country, be it America, Germany, Japan, Holland, just to name a few. But before we meet our special guest and get into some questions, I need to welcome back my trusty co-host, John, John Cheek from the Uni Taste Days. Welcome back to the pod, John. Hope you're well. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Tim. I'm so looking forward to this podcast. I, I think studying abroad is the one question that students ask me that I'm the most uncomfortable answering. And, and actually, true story, David, I'm not just saying this because you're here, but the, the last time I was asked this question, I mentioned to the, the school afterwards, do you, know, uh, do you know a guy called David Hawkins? And they said, David, you're coming into their school. So so all roads <laughs> lead to you. And that's that's 100% true story. Um, so it's really good, David, that you're part of this podcast today, talking about that very subject. Great to be here. Okay, so our guest is David Hawkins. Thank you, John, from the university guys. And uh, I guess we, we'll start off the podcast in the traditional manner. We have two questions usually. The first question, David, being what do you do? And the second one being why do you do it? A really great question. I'll try not to spend an hour answering it. Put simply, I am um, the founder of a company who specialise in working with students to help them make a university application that their high school doesn't really have expertise in, which typically focuses on students wanting to leave the country they go to school in. So within the UK, that would be a student going to a UK school who wants to apply to a university in another country, say in America or somewhere in Europe or, or, or anywhere. Their school might be excellent at UCAS, most UK schools are, but they don't necessarily have that expertise. So a bit like paying for music lessons or a, or a football coach, you can, can work with us to help you do that. Why do I do it? Um, I love working with students. That's something I've, I've done for years. I was a teacher and then, and then stepped into the space. But particularly because I think though the UK university sector is phenomenal, it's one type of university experience and that's not necessarily the way it works in other countries and and i believe that if students are aware of how the university experience could be different they would find better options and, and some of the the slightly scary student satisfaction stats we have in the uk might might be mitigated a little bit and and also actually the world will be a better place if we all knew much more about each other and how things can work differently so students from one country go and study in a different country and then work in another country a lot of the challenges that we see in the world today, which come from sort of not really understanding other people's perspectives and cultures and backgrounds, could, could also be eased. So there's both the, the personal enjoyment of it, but also a sense of a, a purpose that, you know, the world is a small place and we should to get out there and see some of it. Yeah, such a good answer. And, and I've got to say, you know, just to echo those thoughts, the school I spoke to um, about you last week and when you know, mentioned you're going in, that is exactly the situation. The school didn't have that expertise. And naturally, not many people, I suppose, unless they, they've been through that journey, would would do. And I look back, it's a long time since I've been at school, but but I was never told about studying abroad and the opportunities of, of going to another country. And I wouldn't even known about languages. You know, is it in that language? I mean, we'll cover all this later on. Um, but that's really, yeah, really, really glad you're part of this podcast. And this is going to be 
so so useful for students that are interested in university for parents for teachers as well that are supporting students so thank you for joining us and with that i'm going to come on to a few questions that i've got for you the first one is to look at the the benefits of a student studying abroad and and naturally you're going to be speaking to a lot of students that that are interested because that's that's the job you do but do you mind just running through some of the benefits some of the benefits to students of studying abroad yeah so we see probably three different reasons why students would would be considering it there's one is is fairly mechanistic a lot of students including a lot of students who are born and raised in the uk might have another passport um and that might open up university options in other countries that are are financially actually a fairly sensible way of, of pursuing their degree so one of the things that that we're really keen to get out there is um students who have an eu passport might not be aware that that EU passport can allow them to study in places like the Netherlands for significantly less money than the UK degree would, would cost them. The Netherlands, everyone speaks English, or the you know, significant number of their degrees are taught fully in English. You don't have to do a word of Dutch. And if you happen to have a, a passport from somewhere in the EU, so you go to Poland or Lithuania or wherever, you can go there for for you know not much money. A full degree will cost you somewhere between five and six thousand euros. I mean, a full degree, not just one year. So there's the financials of it. Um, the second thing is that the, the student might find that the form of studies can work differently as well, either in terms of a range of subjects that you don't find in the UK. So, for example, if you go to study the liberal arts and sciences model in the US, you don't have to pick a subject when you apply. You know, even if you're going to major in something, that might only be a third of what you study at university. And so if there's loads of stuff you want to study or, or actually there's nothing yet that you really can fix on, I want to study that then a different country might allow you to, to not have to make that choice, um, figure it out when you get there. Or if you've got a, a really random combination of things, like let's say you want to study engineering and you want to do ballet, you're not going to be able to find that in the UK, but in another country, you can build that into your degree. And so there's an option there. The third one is that, yeah, there are some students who just want to do something different. And they've got the bug. They, they want to get out. They want to experience the world. Um, we have you know, students who've gone to study at universities in, in Japan or in the Middle East or you know, in all sorts of places of the world, and they just want to do something different, um, and they can find pathways out there that are, that are right for them. So, yeah, part of the challenge of this is, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of doing this binary. You've got the UK and you've got the rest of the world, and that's the normal way of doing it. But actually, we're talking about, you know, over 100 different university systems around the world. There's no one reason why people will do it. Everyone's got their own story as to why they might want to consider an international university. Browsers. And actually, you touched really briefly then on two things I want to ask you about later on. So spoiler alert, I'm going to talk to David later about picking different courses, but also the different systems that you know, in the UK, we've got UCAS and how things change outside the, the UK. And I bet David getting used to all those systems must be a, a very challenging part of your, your job. But let's um, let's come on to another question for you. And, and, and that's about picking universities. So say if a student is interested in studying outside the uk i suppose that the two challenges they're going to have at the start of that is is a which university to select but before that the world as you said is a big place so which country to study in where would a student start and, and any tips on on that yeah so i'm going to be again sort of fairly mechanistic about it at the start but it's got to be the absolutely crucial part of this they've got to have the financial conversation with whoever it is you know parents carers guardians um themselves whoever's funding things at the moment you know, whoever pays your bills right now 
you've got to be clear on that because it can be an aspiration and a wonderful one to have, but your UK student loan isn't portable outside the UK. Um, I think it should be, but that's a whole different policy issue to deal with, but it's not. So for an awful lot of people, unfortunately, the conversation will stop at that point of, can you afford to go? And the answer might be, no, I can't. I wish it was different, but but that's where it stops. Um, now, if you can get over that idea of, of the finances, which might involve understanding how you might get money from a university in a form of a, a need-based or a scholarship, which, which will come with trade-offs in terms of the quality of the university a student can look at, quality in inverted commas, you've then got to delve into it. So then I would say you've got to start to look at a couple of, of questions. There's going to be the academic one that we use in the UK of actually what do I want to study or, or if you're looking at the US, what don't I want to study? So some students are surprised they hear of like someone like at MIT, still haven't studied foreign language, you still haven't studied literature, you still do the humanities, the social sciences, the arts, you've even got to pass a swimming test to get your degree from MIT. So if you're thinking like I only want to do engineering, I don't want to do these other things, then maybe a US university isn't the right one for you. Um, if you just want to study a subject, that will lead you in, in different options. And other things like, you know, the, the amount of work involved in application and the chance of getting in and all that kind of stuff. So there's the academic side of it, but there's also going to be the pastoral side of it, of actually, you know, how far away from home are, are I or, or my, my nearest and dearest happy for me to go to? How easy is, is it going to get home? How comfortable am I with varying levels of English being spoken? Even if a course is taught fully in English, is everything around the university going to function in a different language and you, you're going to need to speak it? Different levels of resourcing on student services, what your onward pathways after you graduate might be. So you've got to have these real big picture things first before you delve into it. Where we find with our work advising students is they tend to skip through that. I want to go to America, tell me how to do it. And we're having to go, whoa, let's throw the whole thing back. Do you understand these actually bigger picture questions? Because we, you know, we can get you to university, it's phenomenal. But if you're, you know, eight hour time zone difference from your family and you never get to speak, speak to them again and you, you always got used to speaking to them four or five times a day, you're not lasting three weeks. The university might be great for you, but these bigger picture things are also important to it. Can I just ask you a quick follow-up question then about countries? So, so the students that are in the UK that you work with, is there any, and you mentioned before about there's this 100 plus countries that students, you know, can potentially that a university, you know, popular countries for university study, but is there a, America is obviously going to be a, a popular one. Is, is there any countries, and you mentioned actually, I will come to you for your answer in a second, David, but you mentioned before about Holland, if you've got, certainly if you've got an EU passport, but anywhere else, it's particularly, you know, you're hearing a lot of inquiries from at the moment. Almost every inquiry starts with the States. You know, it's just <laughs> omnipresent in culture about US universities. And then there was a phase a year or two ago where, you know, Primark was selling stuff branded from Harvard and Yale. More, more stuff being sold in a Primark with Harvard and Yale material on it than kids than would actually those universities would take kids from the UK for. So that's all the starting point. Where else are we seeing interest in? The Republic of Ireland's had a little spike the last couple of years. Been in the media a lot. There's been some you know, TV programmes about it. It's a challenging process to, to understand from a UK perspective. There's been some stuff there. Where we're seeing, however, the, the great interest is in English language programmes taught in Europe, quite often at private universities which offer an experience that's kind of similar to a UK university. And so you're seeing a lot of work from some of those universities coming to the UK, doing lots of stuff, 
um, going to lots of schools. And that does seem to be a, a place where we almost seem to reach a tipping point in many places. It's very normal to add Bacconi, i.e. Leon, Lewash to an application platform, um, not instead of UCAS, but as you kind of sixth or seventh option. So yeah, those those are like the Baconi and I particularly get a lot of interest right now within London. And that's an interesting thought there that I've never thought about. The, the students say they can still go via the UCAS route and and open their options and have a look at yeah different different ones. You know, they can apply as well as as abroad to you know, using UCAS. Ne- never thought about that. Yeah, I mean, most students I'd say will do that. And so um, it's a term actually my my colleague Sheena um, coined a kind of UCAS plus. Of actually, you know. It's not a case of replacing it, it's adding to it. And I'll use, you know, Baconi and IE as, as cases in point here. They're not on UCAS. They'll accept an application directly and their timelines are earlier. So both of those are universities where you could get to half term of, of year 13. So you know, basically about now I'm recording it and you've got an offer. Yeah, that that's quite nice. Yeah, particularly if you are someone who's aspiring to things like business and economics and architecture and law at some competitive UK universities where we know the competition is is more extreme than it's ever been, you get back after half term and you're already into a nice English language European university, potentially even before you've submitted your UCAS. Well, happy days, no pressure, there we go. Worst case scenario is I'm spending three or four years in Milan or Madrid. You can see why we've got a lot of students who are doing these pathways and potentially they won't even stick in five on UCAS because... If this European university is their second, third or fourth choice, then you don't need to put all five in in UCAS. We had a student a couple of years ago who's now at the LSE who only admitted LSE on UCAS. Applied to Baconi, she was admitted, so her UCAS was just one application. She said the only place that she would go to on top of Baconi was the LSE. So it changes the whole dynamic of how you're going through this process. Wow. And also, I suppose it'll make your personal statement if you just apply to one. <laughs> well, knowing that that university is very keen on having a personal status very focused on them it did make things a little bit easier yeah that brings us to the end of part one of the uni guide looking at studying abroad join us off this short break for part two as we delve into courses and choosing universities before we get into some more questions with our special guest david i just thought it'd be fun just to ask some of our student panelists uh, familiar voices on the podcast now if they could study any subject anywhere in the world what would they choose? You could play along as well. And of course, why? And I'm going to put it through to, to John and David as well. Here's what they said. If I could study anywhere abroad for my whole degree, I think I'd probably go of Norway. I've always enjoyed doing art and design as you know, a hobby on the side. And I think to pursue a course in this, in that country would be amazing. I've always been fascinated by the fjords, which are the mountains and just the landscape in general. So I think being surrounded by that natural beauty, just being in that environment would be so inspiring. I really like this question because even though I'm a medical student, I like to think in another life, I would have gone a completely different direction and like studied something like history because I absolutely love history. Um, It's still a big passion of mine that I do alongside medicine, but I, yeah, adore history, especially Tudor history. And I just think how cool would it have been to study that in somewhere like Paris, because Paris is like one of my favourite places in the world. And I've also thought about how cool it would have been to have done medicine in Paris in one of the English-speaking hospitals. So I think if I had a choice, that's where I would have gone. But I don't regret my decision, but it just shows you how many different 
options there are and there's not one option for you and that's it there's definitely so many different paths you can take and i'm very happy with mine <laughs> some interesting answers there uh, it's def definitely got me thinking about different places and what i would do i'm going to put it to john and then i'm going to put it to david what do we think what would you study and why john over to you love that question tim i'm going to answer that strategically if i can and the reason I say that is I love golf, but I'm useless at golf. But it's the one sport I'd love to be good at. So I'm going to go for studying some kind of golf scholarship in America. I'm not sure which university because I've, I've not researched because I haven't got that ability. But the reason it's strategic is if I'm going to get onto a golf scholarship in America, I must be really good at golf. So I'm going to go for that, Tim. Um, for me, I would be um, wanted to go and study at a university called St. John's College in, in Annapolis, Maryland. And people may have heard me say this before, but it's an unusual curriculum because they um, have a four year degree, which is taught entirely through the great books of Western civilization. So you spend four years reading the greatest works of literature, history, philosophy, politics, science, music from the ancients up to the 20th century. And as someone who has said, I, I love history and you know, I've got books all over the place in my office here. To spend four years just reading stuff would have been phenomenal. It's not the most well-known college, but it's the something that, that would have suited me down to the ground, I think. Brilliant. Thank you all for your contributions there. I wonder what you're thinking at home. Okay, so I think a good place to start here, David, would be how are, how are the university courses structured differently to what we have in the UK? For example, we have you know single honours, combined honours, etc. What are your thoughts here? You've got to kind of look at it Broadly speaking, and you've got probably four different options of how your degree would be structured. So there will be places which are very similar to the UK model. So it will be that single or joint honours degree. And a lot of countries, particularly countries that were for better or ill linked to the UK through the empire, will have had a degree structure that's kind of grown up in a similar way. And Europe actually is also quite similar. So you go into university to study a defined course. Um, and that's very common. So I'm studying history or history and politics or business or business and French. And that that's pretty similar to what you find in the UK. So you've got, got that one module. You've then got places like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, where you're, you've got what we would call like a, a programme you're applying for. So you wouldn't be just applying for, say, history or, or French or English. You'd be applying for arts. It wouldn't just be chemistry or physics or biology. It would be sciences. And so you're applying into that kind of theme of study, whereby you'll have a specialism. You might pick that in your second year. Quite often it's a four-year degree. So let's say a student wants to do biology. They might get in their first year. They'll take seven, eight, nine different classes, some biology, some chem, some physics, some computer science, pick up something new, psychology, whatever it might be. Then in their second year, they say, no, this is my focus, it's biology. And that might be 50, 60, 70% of what they do in years two, three, and four. But in the rest of that, they can accent their degree either with other sciences or depending on the structure of the university, they can say, actually, I'd like to learn accountancy or I'd like to pick up another language. So you've got that, that flexibility there. Um, we've got um, then that liberal arts and sciences model that you see in the United States. And, and there are other options around the world that do it where you are not admitted for a course. You're admitted to study a curriculum. Typically in the liberal arts and sciences, your degree is split into three elements. A third of it is where you study what the university insists that every student must study, quite often called like general education. So you're going to have over your time at the university to tick off requirements. So you might have to study two classes of literature, two classes of foreign language, 
humanities, arts, social sciences, sciences, the art, you know, PE, that kind of stuff. A third of it would be your major. Typically, you pick that in your second year of four, and that will be then a third, 40, 50% of what you study over the rest of the time. And then you've got electives as your free choice. So you can just pick up again interesting stuff. Um, and that is the US model of, of, of study in, in almost every case. And then the last one is you get these kind of really interesting interdisciplinary star degrees where either one university is, is doing something really interesting. So you've got like degrees that focus on things like, you know, climate change. Well, that's going to be a degree that has all, you know, politics and environmental science and law and, you know, um, biology and all this stuff into it. So kind of a new style of degree or where actually you've got the location being part of it. So there's a really famous degree called the World Bachelor in Business, which is where you spend your time on three different continents at three different universities over a four-year degree. So first year is at USC in Los Angeles, second year is at HKUST in Hong Kong, third year is at Baconi in Milan, fourth year you go back. So it's kind of business, but in a whole interdisciplinary location kind of sense. And those are all different kind of things to study. You know, you're going to be looked for in different ways when you apply. One of my biggest bugbears is when you see in the media, like, oh, Oxbridge and the Ivy League, trying to stick those together. And I forget the fact that Ivy League is a really dangerous term because it doesn't mean what most people think it means. But actually, an Oxbridge kid is super focused on what they want to study. A US kid has got to love studying everything. And so they're different kind of things. So you've got to kind of, again, step back into, you've got to ask questions of international universities you would never ask in the UK. Like, you would never think about, like, how do I you know, want to balance different subjects or how am I going to pay for it or what's the location going to be like? And in some ways, we're so well served by the simplicity of the UCAS process. You know, pick your course and you've got your predicted grades. There we go. That we can sometimes forget that we have one of the world's most simple university admissions processes on the planet. And actually, if you're looking at other countries, you're going to have to start to spend more time thinking about this because it, it is more complicated. And the studies are just one area of why it's much more complicated. Thanks, David. And what fantastic advice for students that are considering studying outside the UK. And, and right at the start of the podcast, I mentioned it's one of the subjects I know the least about. Actually, listening to all the information you've got there, David, I, it's, it's one of those subjects that now I know even less than I thought I did. Um, the more digging I do, the less I know. That, that's um, such an interesting answer. And Indeed, there's lots to research. That brings us to the end of part two. Join us after this short interlude for part three, where we'll be getting hints, tips, resources and guidance from our special guest, David, on studying abroad. We touched on this right at the start that cost is going to be, for some students, prohibitive and, and they might want to study abroad, but they, they, they look at the cost and they find out that student loans aren't portable, which you mentioned right at the start. And that ends that potential journey. And also, I'm thinking more about costs because a recent podcast that we did uh, with John Herring looking at scholarships and bursaries and, and John, Tim, you might remember this. John said that he had a, a $55,000 scholarship and asked my good grief. Um, so with cost in mind, how does cost compare with with the UK, obviously outside the UK, knowing obviously that, that student loans don't work? And any any steer there from you in terms of costs for studies? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to range from places which are going to be cheaper and places that are going to be much more expensive. It's really, really complex. Like applying to international universities is, is hard work in many cases. Adding on top of that, the need to get funds to do it makes it even more challenging. It's, it's really important that that conversation I mentioned happens of like, 
what is my budget and what would I spend it on? I would say you've got to be very hard-nosed, kind of business-like about it. You know, you can't just assume that these things will come through. You've got to really, really delve into the detail. Um, at, yeah, at the very top end, there are US universities which are up this year. Yeah, saying to students, you need to prove you've got ninety thousand US dollars a year, tuition, living costs, hiring accommodation, food plan, that kind of stuff. There are places like Germany where it's you know eighteen hundred euros a semester, so there's everything in there. But what you qualify for um, and what aid might be available will depend on a load of different factors. So what passports or, or residency status you might already have. Um, so a random example, but if you have a French passport, there's a deal between France and Quebec and Canada, meaning that you only pay domestic Canadian fees if you go to their universities. So it brings the cost way down because of this deal. So there's all those kind of kind of things. Um, You've got to look at you know, what different universities are going to be charging in different ways and stuff because you know some places are cheap, some places are expensive, and even within a country, you know, studying in South Dakota is going to cost you less money than it is studying in New York for obvious reasons of the cost of living and things there. I think then the big thing that you've got to understand is that if you do need money from a university, if that's where you're hoping to get the funding from, then in almost every case, that is going to impact your competitiveness as an applicant. So if you are a student who's applying to that university and you can pay the money to go, then the university will consider you on your merits against everybody else. So, yeah, there's every, that's just, you know, you're in the normal pool. If, however, you're saying, I want to come to you and I need you to give me a lot of money to come, either based on, on looking at your, your need, your family's financial circumstances, or just because you, your family won't pay, you need a scholarship, you're going to have to be really good in the eyes of the university. Now, if we take a US university as an example, you're asking them to give you a quarter of a million dollars worth of education over four years. You know, how good must you be compared to everybody else they can get who doesn't need that amount of money in order to, um, for them to give you it? And it's a mindset we tend not to need to have in the UK because you just get to the quote-unquote best university you get to. In the US, you might have to go to a university where you are literally the best student in every single class you would go into because that's why they're giving you the money. So it's a whole complicated thing here. Thank you so much. That's so, so interesting, really. Um, and you've got me thinking now, and, and there's loads of follow-up questions I could ask you, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick to the, stick to my script and I'll um, ask you about a completely different subject. And that's, that's in terms of actually selecting universities. So in the UK, if students want to study at a UK institution, you have league tables, love them or hate them. Some people love them, some people hate them. But say if a, a student is interested in studying outside the UK and, and wants to consider a, an elite institution, any tips there in terms of, of how they can locate them, how they can find out more about them? So we're very used to lead tables and indeed kind of entry requirements as a proxy to help us figure it out. Universities know this and they game it in all sorts of different ways, but it kind of gives us a sense in the UK of, okay, this is how it works. The challenge is then we're trying to impose that system on another country. And it doesn't necessarily work that way. I mean, let me give you a really silly analogy. We've got to understand that things work differently in different places. So if you walk down your local high street somewhere in the UK and stop someone and said, you know, I can go and get, get a bag of chips. You're going to get a different answer to that question than if you ask that question down the high street in the US or in Mexico or down the road from a semiconductor workshop somewhere in Japan or next to a golf course in Spain. Yeah. The same word means different things. And so elite and top and rankings and league tables 
is a British concept, which if you try and use it somewhere else, might lead you down difficult pathways. I'll give you two examples of that. Most European countries, you don't have this sense of like a hierarchy of universities. Most European kids will go to the university in their nearest big city and quite often will live at home. So why would you go to this university that's the other end of the country when I'm going to university with all my mates in my hometown and potentially living with my parents because my university doesn't offer dorm? Like it's a, for them, it's a crazy idea that this one's better than somewhere else because it's, it's, they're all as good as each other. And you can look at entry requirements and see there's a university that seems to be somehow ranked in the top 100 in the world and it's taking me with three C's at A level and it kind of blows the mind in the UK, but you're trying to impose a system somewhere else. If you flip it the other way around, we'll have students who, who will say, you know what, I'm looking at top five universities in the UK, so I'm looking at top five in the US. The US has 4.3 million kids graduating high school each year. It's significantly bigger. You look at what the top 1% of that cohort is, that's 43,000 students. 43,000 students don't fit into five universities. They fit into somewhere like 35 universities. And so what's elite in one country, it works different in other countries and this kind of stuff. And it comes back to that question of we used to be able to find simple answers to these questions in the UK. You've got to start to understand, okay, well, if I had gone to high school in that country, where might I be able to access? And that's at least a starting point for it. But it's, it's, it's really complicated. You know, you, this is why in America, most high schools have four, five, six college counsellors doing this full time to help kids figure this out. Why in Europe you tend not to have this process at all? Because you just, you pass your, your high school diploma and off you go to uni. So it's, it's, it's nothing like as simple as we tend to have it here. Fantastic, David. And, and obviously, you're a, you're a very busy man as a result of that. So thank you so much yeah. for finding the time to, to squeeze this podcast into um, everything else you're involved in. So uh, talking of, of kind of the well, processing and complications, you, you mentioned earlier on that, that UCAS is one of the most straightforward application systems around that you've, you've encountered. And, and obviously, we have that in the UK. But for a student that wants to study outside of the UK, and this is going to be such a difficult question for you to answer, but I'd love a steer from you because how does process vary and, and naturally you know countries are going to make a difference um and everyone's got the same but any any steer in terms of process when compared with UCAS two absolutely fundamental things to to figure out number one please don't assume everything will work like UCAS I had a school recently I won't mention in the school saying um we've got kids applying to international universities it, it, it's all on the UCAS timeline is it like why why would it be on the UCAS timeline that's just ours so don't assume that anything will work the same with UCAS in terms of portals and essays and references and this kind of stuff. It's, it's just going to be different. And as long as you know it's going to be different, then that will steer you and say, okay, okay, it's different. I have to do some research and figure that out. It might start early. It might start later. There's that kind of stuff. The second thing with that is don't assume there's one answer for the whole country. Because, again, we have a national system in the UK. UCAS obviously is sort of charitable but links sort of to government in different ways. So we have one system not the case in other places so we can't typically find simple answers to these questions we're used to with UCAS being able to say what is the deadline and we know that what the deadlines are because they're the deadlines and they apply everywhere you ask me what the deadline for applying to university in America is I could give you 40 different dates depending on which university you're applying to what do I have to do and write for University of America and which universities if I would apply to Harvard and Georgetown and UCLA that's three different application portals those universities have chosen or have the government of their state choose for them but you have to have different application portals so it only comes back to those two things don't assume it works like UCAS and don't assume there's a simple answer the sooner you start to investigate 
how I actually apply to these universities, the better. There are a couple of other countries which have national systems. So the Netherlands has StudyLink, Ireland for an EU or UK applicant has the CAO. Lots of other countries will have multiple systems like Canada, depending on where in Canada the university is, will have a different application platform. Or the expectation in many places is that you just apply directly. Thanks, David. And with the podcast, what we what we do on every single episode is we ask the same closing question, just as like like we we ask the same opening question to our guests. But before I ask that question to you, just for context, do you mind if I ask you where you went to university and if you had any advice in terms of studying abroad when you were at school? Um, so I studied history and I went to the University of Oxford and no had had no advice or awareness of it as an option at all. I don't know if I did, knowing what I know now, whether I would have made a different choice. I wanted to be a history teacher and I was a history teacher and I really enjoyed studying history. So I think it probably suited me. But I don't know. It would be interesting to go back in time. With that in mind, um, in terms of our guests, we always ask the same closing question. That's knowing what you do now, if you were going to give a piece of advice to your younger self about university, what would it be? So I, I think what I really want to, to say back to myself many years ago would be to understand that you don't just have to study one subject that for me is still the thing that I find the most exciting about this that that the mindset we so have in the UK if you drop things for GCC then you typically drop things for A level and then you drop things going to university was a challenge for me and I kind of happened on history as a route to to just state my curiosity for stuff because if it's happened in the past I could study it yeah I, I you know through my studies of history, I've looked at geography, I've looked at economics, I've looked at philosophy, I've looked at politics, I've looked at engineering, just because that's how you answer these questions about stuff that's happened in the past. But I had no idea that there were was this thing called the liberal arts and sciences, where I could have picked up all sorts of stuff. Like I never really studied philosophy. Anthropology seems to me quite interesting. Picking up new language would be fun. So if I could have gone to university to just do the arts, like in sort of Canada and Australia, or the liberal arts and sciences in the US, I might have discovered other things that I really, really like. Um, so just being aware that actually you don't have to pick a subject would have, I think, been quite interesting for me to go through. David, thank you so much. Such fantastic advice, guidance. So now what I want to do is just give like a, a, almost like the, the go-to, the signpost for students. So, so you're the founder of the university, guys. If students are interested in finding out more about studying outside the UK, do you mind just giving us some website links, how they can you know, find out more, get in touch with you and, and your team? Yeah, so we, our website, which is theuniversityguys.com, has a whole kind of knowledge and guide section. So we have webinars, podcasts, blogs up there. Our podcast is also called The University Guys. It's on Apple and Spotify and those kind of places. Um, we have some videos and stuff that are also hosted on, on our YouTube channel. Again, it's The University Guys. Lots of kind of general guides out there um, written to try and help demystify some of this kind of stuff. In terms of contacting us, you'll find on the website ways of signing up for our newsletter. And actually, if you want to kind of get in touch, it is a service that, that we charge for. I know that's not necessarily going to be realistic for some people. You can see what our prices are online. So if, if that's just not something for you, then um, that is what it is. A lot of stuff there. If you then want to delve more deeply, I would also suggest if you're looking at different countries, go to the governmental websites in that country. Obviously, lots of people do very clever search engine optimization. So if you Google study in name of a country, stuff will come up. But try and find like the official government website. So yeah, if if you're looking for you know the Netherlands, then there is a study in the Netherlands.nl 
Italy, there's a Fulbright Commission for the USA, there's Edu Canada for Canada. Try and find that official government website, um, and that will give you a lot of resources focused on, on that kind of stuff. And with all of this, I'll come back to you know what I said 10 minutes ago. The sooner you start to understand that this is different, the more successful you will be. The nightmare scenario is like two weeks for the deadline, you suddenly go, oh, this doesn't work like UCAS. And then you're in a real tricky situation. Now, I know normally in the UK, it's sort of, you know, spring, summer, year 12, we start thinking about university. For international, you need to go back a year. You know, you need to be thinking about this really in year 11, and if not earlier, it, because there's just so many more moving parts to it. Wow, that was incredible. So the final thing for me to do is just to say, David Hawkins, joining us from the university, guys, a big, huge thank you. Um, you're doing incredible work in this space. And I'm really grateful that you've, you've managed to find time to do this podcast as part of all the other stuff you're doing. So, David, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. You've been listening to The Uni Guide, supporting you with all things university. While you're here, why not give us a rating? If you have any comments, suggestions, or want to ask us any questions at all, please contact us using info at unitasterdays.com. Stay tuned, like and share, and as always, take care.